Well, anyway, um, <clears throat> oftentimes, as I have these past three years, I've shared with you the life and times of somebody from the Bible, and I always preface it by saying there were no super saints, there were no uh, people in the Bible that were perfect, there was only one, and that is our Lord Jesus. And uh, so Elijah is the one we want to look at today. It's been a while since I've done a little character sketch. But maybe there's something in there that will help you and, and me realize that God knows we're human and that we're made of dust. And um, he was probably one of the greatest uh, men in the Old Testament. And yet, he had some flaws. And uh, so we'll, we'll look at the man Elijah, fire, faith, and fear. One of the things that, and you probably uh, have read about Elijah a lot more than maybe I realize, or maybe you don't know a thing about him. Well, he was a prophet at a very, very uh, dark time in Israel's history. And uh, by the way, did you get, did you get a, an outline? And I think it's important. I don't I've never met anybody that didn't get discouraged. And when Elijah got discouraged, there are lessons in his life that we could we could learn. He was he was quite a fellow. So it can happen to anybody, it doesn't have to, but here's a little about Elijah. So if you have your notes, here we are. He came upon the scene in a dark time in Israel when Ahab and Jezebel ruled. Now, most of you would not name your daughter Jezebel. Uh, I made the mistake one time of, of uh, I was going through the judges, and I was preaching on Samson. And, and I said the same thing about Delilah. You know, I mean, I, I said, I said most, most people wouldn't name their daughter. Their, Excuse me, daughter um, <clears throat> Delilah. And uh, afterwards, a lady from the church came and said, well, we named our first daughter Delilah. And I looked for a hole. I couldn't crawl in anything. So, but <clears throat> let me show you something first about who Ahab was. In uh, chapter 16, verse 33, this is what it says about King Ahab. Now, it's important to know who Ahab and Jezebel were if you're going to find out what happened to Elijah. Okay? And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. If that wasn't bad enough, Listen to 1 Kings uh, 21, verse 25. This is about Jezebel. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And uh, very wicked people. They were very wicked people. So who is Elijah again? Uh, the New Testament mentions Elijah more than any other prophet. You know how many times? 27. 27 times he's mentioned in the New Testament. And uh, 
Most people know that Elijah did miracles. Uh, he was certainly a man of prayer. And for that, I'll, I'll read you James 5. You don't have to turn to all these if you don't want to, but James 5, verse 16. <clears throat> uh, no, not 16. Yeah, the last part of verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it didn't, it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. That's why you don't want him as your next pastor. Okay. Verse 18, And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah had a real connection with the Lord. He was a man of prayer. <clears throat> so if you're filling out your notes, number two, he was a man of obedience. In in First Kings seventeen four, God told him to go down to the brook of Kindred during this terrible drought. He said, "I'll sustain you there. The ravens will feed you." So he did. He obeyed. Now, not about you, but uh, you've heard of roadkill, haven't you? I mean, what do ravens eat? And uh, I don't think, I don't think. Uh, the ravens brought him any of that. I just think the Lord uh, provided uh, through the ravens uh, some some good food, but he obeyed. Uh, in number three, he was a man of faith, 1 Kings 17, 16. Remember when he stayed with the, the widow and her son? Nobody had any food. Terrible famine. God was disciplining the nation of Israel. By the way, you better pray for our country because I think discipline is coming along our way for some of the things that we've done and some of the choices we've made. And uh, so, anyway, the point here is he went to stay with, and he said, make me a little cake and, uh, you know, bring me a little water. And... Uh, of course, the lady said, uh, all I have is just a little cruise of oil, and I have a handful of meal. I'm going to fix one cake, and then my son and I are going to eat it. Then we're going to die. And Elijah said, just fix me one first. And, of course, the miracle was that flour never ran out. The cruise of oil kept going. And that was another miracle. There are seven big miracles Elijah was involved in. And by the way, his successor's name was Elisha, right? And he asked for a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. And you know what? There were 14 miracles that Elisha was involved in. How about that? Seven times two is 14. It was the last time I checked. Anyway, the point here is he was a man of faith. He is number four. He was a man of purpose. We know and remember our Sunday school lessons about how he, on Mount Carmel, challenged all the false prophets of the day 
and uh, mocked them, and God answered in a wonderful way. And it was a tremendous, tremendous thing. He was a man of purpose, and that was to show that Jehovah was God and not these wooden idols and all that stuff. But here's the point I want to talk about today more than anything. Number five, he was also a man of like passions, subject to the same extremes of exaltation and then despondency. Now, you know, some people more or less struggle with that. Some, all people face it. And depending on what we do about it, uh, it will depend on the struggle itself. So what happened in 1 Kings 19? Okay, I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest condensed version of, seven, of 18. Okay, the great victory on Mount Carmel, the false prophets of Baal were put to death. God had fire come down and demonstrate that he was God. And Elijah prayed and and the rain came back to the land, and what a deal. So wouldn't you be thrilled? Wouldn't that be a mountaintop experience? We go to First First uh, Kings 19. Let's look at this. Because there's a lesson there for you and for me. I know I've needed it. In First Kings 19, verse 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. About this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And you know the story. He went a day's journey. He sat down. He said, Lord, it's enough. I'm the only one left. You might as well take my life from me. Now, there's another prophet that prayed that. His name was Jonah. Only that was opposite. There was not much of a revival after this great thing that happened on Mount Carmel with Elijah, but there sure was in Nineveh, in Jonah's preaching. He didn't want them to turn to the Lord. He wanted the Lord to smack them. He had an attitude problem. So what happened? Three things happened to Elijah that can happen to you and I when we get into what Pilgrim's Progress called the slew of what? Despondency? You ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Oh, how Christian passed by the slew of despondency? Anyway, when we get discouraged, okay, uh, Number one, there was a physiological thing that happened to him, and you read read about that in verse 4. We're all going to be here in 1 Kings 19. He himself, when a day's journey into the wilderness, came under and sat, sat down under a broom tree or a juniper tree. We would call it in our land a cedar. And he prayed that he might die. And said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under the tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there by his head was a cake baked in coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. 
Then it happened the second time. The angel then said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. And I think about that. The journey is too great for me alone and you, the spiritual journey. Anyway, verse 8. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went on the strength of that 40 days and 40 nights. Then he went to Horeb, or we know it as Mount Sinai, verse 9. Then he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing? So here's a, a little thing that I've heard and learned and try to live by. If you're taking notes, never make a major decision when you are halt. What does the H stand for? Hungry. A, angry, L, lonely, T, tired. When we make, when we make major decisions, when we're a little bit discomfited, or maybe a lot, it can oftentimes lead to a mistake. The stress from this encounter at Mount Carmel the 30-mile run of fear for his own life, the fact that he had no food after that in 40 days, and yet he was ready to just give up completely. Number two, and I, and I mean that. I mean, if, if we make decisions when we're in that state, either hungry, angry, lonely, tired, we can, we can make a mistake. Number two, Personal. Personal. If you look at verse 10, Elijah told the Lord this. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So he said, I'm the only one left. You know what that's called? Self-pity. Self-pity. God had to teach Elijah the humbling lesson that he was not indispensable. Now, God wants to use you and I, but he doesn't need us as such to accomplish his purposes. We are not indispensable. Elijah said, I'm the only one left. Might as well take me. And then God had to tell him, I still have 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so God had to deal with him. And if you look at verse 18, God says, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that he has not kissed that has not kissed him. And so, I mean, God had to teach this dear prophet that. And sometimes we might get the idea, what would God do without us? Well, he would do quite nicely, but he's chosen not to. For, the, for, your, for your benefit, and the privilege of serving him 
and the honor of loving him. Number three, what happened to Elijah also was spiritual. If you look at chapter 19, verse 14, and he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets, and I alone am left. If you go back to verse 4, it says something in the same way. He prayed that he might die, and he said, Lord, it's enough. Take my life. Boy, that is, that is despondency. So there was a spiritual need here. And here's what I put in your notes. The victory on Mount Carmel did not produce a national revival. So I really think he believed he failed, if you're taking, taking notes. It was not true. He did not fail. But I think he just thought, wow, what did I... You know, here, here's the thing. Look at the next statement in your notes. At the base of discouragement... Oops, I spelled that wrong, didn't I? Carol, you should have typed this. Anyway, at the base of discouragement is usually, here it is, a lie from Satan. Sometimes these lies are called fiery darts. If you remember the whole armor of God, if not, I'll read it for you in Ephesians 6.16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Satan would like nothing better than for you and I as a believer to throw in the towel and look at the condition of our society and say, why bother or whatever reason. And so there's a lie from the devil every time. And here's three common lies that he uses. Oh, by the way, what is Elijah famous for, most famous for? Yeah, he didn't die. He didn't die. He was caught up in a whirlwind. He knows nothing about what it's like to croak. Reminds me of a story I heard this week. After a family meal one night, three generations are sitting around chatting. Four-year-old Hillary is sitting on her grandfather's knee. She asks very sweetly, Grandpa, can you make a noise like a frog? Granddad replied, what? Hillary asked again, can you make a noise like a frog? Granddad said, well, why do you want me to make a noise like a frog? Hillary replied, well, Last night, Daddy said that when you croak, we can all go to Disneyland. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. Elijah didn't die, and so was one other person in Scripture that didn't taste death. Who was it? Enoch, good for you. You've redeemed yourself from failing the quiz test. Getting back to Elijah, now just think now. He had, he had these issues, and the discouragement came 
usually a lie from Satan. Here's three common lies when you're down in the dumps that our enemy would like to challenge you or to uh, tell you. Lie number one, God has left you. God has left you. What's the truth in Hebrews 13, 5? I will never leave you nor forsake you. You may think that has happened, and the little seed that our enemy will plant wants you to think that that has happened, but the Scripture will never, never go back. On his, on his word. I will never leave you nor forsake you, the Lord said, never. As a believer, you are a treasure to your Lord. He gave his only son, as that song says, to make a wretch his treasure. Lie number two, God won't forgive you. No, he won't forgive you. Of course, that violates the promise in Ephesians 1.7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. What does 1 John 1.9 say? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins. That's the truth. To cleanse us from all righteousness. Otherwise, we couldn't, we couldn't have that that communion, that steady communion with the Lord. Here's a third lie. No good will come through this experience. Whatever it is that happens in your life, our enemy wants you to believe that how could God ever do anything good out of this tragedy or out of this hard thing or out of this storm? or out of the health report I got, or how I lost my job, or I lost a loved one, whatever. No good will come from this. And he wants you to believe that, and God wants you to believe what he said in Romans 8, 28. That is that we know that all things work for good. He did not say all things are good. What he promised was all things work for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So every circumstance, everything, though we may not understand, though it may be hard and very difficult, God says I'll work good out of that. Only God can, can do that. There are many other lies, okay? So, let's get back to Elijah. How did God help his fiery prophet? Look at 1 Kings 19, verse 11. God says, go out, get out of the cave. Go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains, broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake but the lord was not in the earthquake 
And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. That's what you expect with God. Something amazing and awesome. It says, after the earthquake, a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. Catch it now. Catch it. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard, that, heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So a still small voice, not a mighty wind, earthquake, or fire. Sometimes we just have to be quiet enough to hear what God is saying. Amen? Huh? I mean, I and a lot of people like me would rather do anything than to sit still and know that I am God. Nothing, let's finish this out, nothing can overcome despondency better than communion with your Lord. Please go with me. I want you to see it. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. Here it is. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed. Later in that, in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. What do you think the psalmist meant when he said, He leadeth me beside what? Still waters. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. Now for just a moment, think of David. King David was hunted and hounded. So many wanted his life. And while he and his men were gone, the women and children were left at camp, at the camp, and the camp was raided by people, and uh, they were robbed and carried away all the women and children. And in 1 Samuel 30, when David came back, they wept, the Bible says, till they had strength to weep no more. Then they wanted to stone David, their leader, his own men. What did David do at that dark moment? The Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, how do you do that? You remember, if you're taking notes, you remember what God says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. David had to remember how God had cared for him. Some things we are to forget in this life. Some things we are not. Don't ever forget how God has been with you 
every step of your way. And the times he's answered your prayers, the times he's provided when you knew no other way. David communed with his Lord, and that helped him see it through. He encouraged, the Bible says, he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Okay? Down on the bottom of your sheets, the New Testament language Elijah learned. To use New Testament language Elijah learned, that whispers from Calvary are more potent than thunders of Sinai. He learned that. Whispers from Calvary are more important, are more potent than thunders of Sinai. I don't know if you have that in your notes. Do you have that? I'll say it again if you want to write it down. To use New Testament language, Elijah learned that whispers from Calvary are more potent than thunders of Sinai. So my challenge is, Christian, take the word of God and let him whisper strength to your needy soul. See, I know a place, a secret place, a place where the wild winds cannot blow, a secret place where face to face I know I must go. And though the winds be strong and the days be long and the wild winds blow and blow, that secret place where I must go is the place where the soul and the master meet. And I think we all need that place. I know we do. Elijah, we could go a lot on all his miracles, and, and but let me tell you something. I look at Elijah as a man or a woman, a person, I should say, just like you and I, where he needed the Lord. Fanny Crosby wrote a song called, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. She was blind, you know. She wrote some of the greatest hymns. She was blinded by some, somebody thinking they were doing a favor when she was just a kid and putting medication in her eyes that actually blinded her. She could have been bitter. But I want you to notice the words because Elijah had to learn that all the way his Savior was with him. Let's stand and sing. It's 332 in the hymn book. Or do you have the words up?